Welcome back to the third episode of season two of Fine Answers. In this episode, we're going to carry on our discussion that we started in episode one, and it's discussing the book 2030. The premise of that book is essentially, if you didn't catch it in episode one, what the world is going to look like in 10 years with a variety of topics. And we're trying to tie it back a little bit to the financial aspects of it, because that's what we do. So in the second chapter, we really started to explore the idea of traditional retirement and traditional timeline of of human life as sort of dissolving a bit. That's exactly the the idea, right? Is that the idea of, of traditional retirement where life is evenly divided or nicely divided between your working life and then you flip a switch and now it's you you don't do anything anymore is kind of going away, right? And a lot of that has to do with people's changing attitudes, life expectancy, technology you know, all these things that, you know, every day seem to be blurring that line a little more. And, you know, we, we didn't introduce everybody on the podcast today, but Joe Suchet is here with us. You know, I think he would agree that, you know, early in, in his career, I mean, he's just had the long, a longer career than the rest of us to this point, but early in his career, there was this idea that at, you know, 65, you were going to be done being a CPA and that was going to be it. And, you're going to do something else for the rest of your life. And as you approach that time, that isn't really what it's going to look like anymore, right? Right. I think at this stage of the game, you know, I'm probably planning to work till 70. have no idea what I'm going to do after that. <laughs> Hopefully stay healthy and keep taking care of myself and exercising. I think one of the interesting things about the book, and I've been reading a few different books on topics similar to this, it's the books were written pre-COVID, it's going to be very interesting to see what the reaction to COVID is. Do we go back to normal? Obviously, the whole world has changed. People are working from home. Does that mean people will work longer because maybe they could work remotely? Doesn't mean that they're going to retire sooner because you know they're stuck at home and don't have an office to go to. I know people in both situations, people who have retired because they're working from home years ago. And it's like, I want to see people and I don't see people, so I'm retiring. So right. it'll be interesting to see what the post-COVID world looks like. And these books obviously were written before COVID. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't, especially people close to retirement, don't really think about what they're going to do with their day-to-day -day in retirement, right? They they kind of see this as a, the, the pot at the end of the rainbow and I can do whatever I want, but then they get there and they're like just looking around saying, I, you know, I don't have any purpose. I, I don't know what I'm going to do every day. I'm bored. And I think it was funny Joe was telling us a story the other day of one of his clients that is is getting closer to retirement and looking forward to it. And as the as the pandemic hit, he started to work from home instead of commuting in and out of Boston every day. And he basically said that there was like a glimpse into retirement. And he said, I was so bored and so disheartened with, with it. I was looking forward to sitting in traffic again every day. So I think people have this idea of retirement as, you know, this thing where you're going to be able to do whatever you want, but it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's the pandemic is almost like a, a trial run of retirement for people who were kind of on that path, right? It was like, all right, for three months or six months or however long, depending on where you worked and all that kind of stuff, you, you almost had a taste of it, right? You were home. You didn't really know where to go and nothing to do. And you got up every day. I mean, it's a little different in that you couldn't do some of the entertainment things that you might normally do in retirement, but you know, it was, a, it was a taste of kind of waking up and really not knowing what every day was going to be filled with. And like you say, people had different reactions. You know, right. I, I, I had a client who said the same thing, that 
they were kind of excited about retirement. And then he said, well, the first three months I did all the projects around the house I kept saying I was going to do. And after that, I was bored out of my mind. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to go back to work. So his, his retirement plans have changed dramatically. He doesn't have any intention of retiring anymore. Right. And that's not to say everybody has that same thing. You know, my, my grandparents have been retired for a while now and they love it. They love being able to do whatever they want, whenever they want with whoever they want. That's a Morgan Housel quote. Um, my in, wife won't let me do that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in, you know, so the, the idea here is it's already starting to go this way, but by 2030, the traditional retirement could very well be out the window. I think one of the problems too, though, is that as a society, we haven't done a good job of marketing what retirement is. I don't think there's a lot of companies okay. that are talking to people about how to be more active in retirement, how to do that kind of hybrid of, you know, you're maybe doing some work, but maybe it's things that you might find more enjoyable while also doing some fun things. And, and it's almost like, as we're talking about how the pandemic has kind of flipped people's views of retirement, it sounds like it's people's view of traditional retirement where you made enough money and now you're going to sit or sit around and just hang out and do what you want, but not, not do anything too active or not continue to do either volunteer or, or other little work or anything like that. And I think one thing that will happen in the near future is that more companies and more people will start to talk to pre-retirees and actual retirees about, A, what do you want your retirement to look like? And those companies will start to market products and services to make people feel like retirement is more of just another stage of their life versus, like you said, the pot at the end of the rainbow, and now I'm just going to go hang out for whatever time I have left. Well, to your point, Eric, I think the the part of the answer is redefining what retirement means, right? In that you know, like you say, people just have this idea that retirement has to mean stopping work entirely, mm. right? And anytime you talk about, you know, working in retirement, people will say that, right? I, I plan to work part-time in retirement. But if you change the definition to exactly what Matt said, right, is the Morgan Hustle quote, which is, and he uses it as financial freedom, but I guess the same thing is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, for however you, for however long you want. And when you get to the point that you can essentially dictate what you're going to do every day, it almost doesn't matter what you're doing, you're retired, right? So if, if, if working or volunteering or whatever it is, if you're doing that because you enjoy it, even if you get paid for it, it's not technically work anymore. Right. And I think that's kind of the redefinition that people are going to have to go through is that retirement doesn't mean stopping everything. It basically just means doing what you want to do for reasons other than a paycheck. Right. Well, that, that's the, whether, you know, we've all read many financial books and that's one of the levels of financial freedom they talk about is when it gets to the point where even though whether you get paid or not, you're going to work entirely because you want to and not because you have to, that is basically financial freedom or retirement, so to speak. And then as we redefine what retirement is on that kind of global level, you know, People might actually enjoy continuing to work if they can reframe it as this is part of my retirement. I'm just using I'm just deciding that I'm going to continue to work for part of it. Well, there's also a fair share of people in society that are working in a job that they don't necessarily like, but they're doing it because it, it pays a lot more. Right. So but if, if in quote unquote retirement, you can you know continue to work, but then shift it instead of a financial focus, like Mike said, do shifting it to a focus where you're actually enjoying what you're doing. 
you know, that could be a huge, a huge part of your retirement is continuing to work even full time, but just doing something else that you want. I had a client a number of years ago who retired, I forget what the job he retired from was, but he got a job working at a local golf course, right? And he drove the cart and he, you know, just worked around the golf course and was probably 30 hours a week. I mean, it was, it was a decent amount of time, but he liked golf. He got to play for free and he had something to do every day and he was happy as could be, you know, and it was irrelevant what he, what he got paid. It was just, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to have purpose and have a reason to get up in the morning and responsibility. And that, that's what he did. And he was happy, happy as, as could be. I think long before this book was written, we've already been going down a path where, you know, the world for young people is different than for some of us older folks. You know, we traditionally went to work, stayed in the job for, you know, for me, it'll be over 40 years before I retire. And the new, new generation these days, they say they're gonna have five, six, eight different careers during the course of their working lives. So again, the whole definition of retirement, is, it will be changing because people might be just spending two, three, four years at one particular function, a task, a company, and moving on to something else, and maybe just scaling down as opposed to, like Mike said, shutting off the switch and calling it retirement. Well, like I say, I think it also is going to be interesting to see how the pandemic changes just work in general as far as the technology and remote and all this stuff. And, you know, we, we you kind of look at it and say, okay, it's it, it might change the real estate market for cities, right? Is that people won't necessarily feel like they have to live in a city or work in a city. They can work in the suburbs and, and you know, it's, it's the same because they can work remotely or work from anywhere. I think that might change just people's idea of work and career and things like that anyway, because again, it's, it's a more fluid thing. You know, it's, it's not a wake up in the morning, go to work, work from nine to five, drive home, eat dinner. It's not as structured. So the more fluid, the daily life is, it, it stands to reason the more fluid, the, the whole concept of retirement will be, mm. you know? So I always like to kind of tie it back to you know, why we're talking about this and how it, it pertains to our clients. And in this case, I think it's sort of twofold. On the surface, you know, we want clients to really start to think about this traditional retirement kind of fading away in, in what they want their retirement to look like. There's nothing that says you, you can't pursue this traditional retirement, but, you know, as things start to shift, is, is that necessarily want you, what you want to do? As life expectancies continue to rise, are you going to want to retire at, you know, 60, 62 years old and then live over 100? It's like that, that's quite a long period of time where, where you're basically in these retirement years. A, are you going to want to do that? And B, are you going to be able to afford it? And then sort of backing out and looking at this on a more macro perspective, historically, we sort of, as a society, look at people over 65 as a quote unquote passive sect of society, right? They, they're kind of not draining off the system, but they're not necessarily contributing to it in any way. They're just kind of off on the side while the rest of society kind of chugs along. But that is really starting to change as some of these new trends come into effect. And if we look at kind of the, the disparity of wealth in this country, is it, is it relates to age in one stat that was provided in the book is people over 60 years old. So the population in the U.S. of people over 60 hold 80% of the wealth. So as these people start to retire and start to kind of move on, what is going to happen to all that wealth? How is it going to move to younger generations, et cetera? Well, and to your point, it, it's as the 
the idea of retirement changes as the idea of old age changes, right? Is how our products and services are going to be marketed differently. And, you know, I don't think it was this book, but it was another book that I think all of us read at some point in the past. They talked a lot about the, the fact that if you tried to provide products that filled a need for the, the older age group, if you marketed it to them as kind of an old age product, there was no demand for it. But if you just marketed it as, or found another way to, to provide that service, there was huge demand, right? And one of the examples was the, the, the I've fallen, I can't get up pendant thing. Oh yeah, Is yeah. that nobody life wanted alert. it, life alert, because yeah. it made them feel old and they didn't want to wear it and they didn't want to have it. And you know there was very little demand. But if you repackage that and say, you know, maybe people are better off just having a cell phone that they have in their pocket all the time, that if something happened, they could use the cell phone to immediately call for help. That's a totally different thing, right? Yeah. Is they're far more willing to carry a cell phone around so that they have communication as opposed to wearing the pendant that made them feel like an old person. Mm. So I think, like you say, I think changing the way that some of these products and services are marketed is going to be tremendously important going forward. You know, and in the book, they talk about just the, the design of products, right? Is that, yeah, I think they talk about washing machines and, you know, they top load washing machines might be more suitable for people as they get older and bigger buttons and things like that, but not making them like those phones with the gigantic buttons as though you can't see yeah, a, yeah. a half a foot in front of your face, right? right. It's just subtle changes that make things easier. And I, somebody told me this, and, and it's it's interesting, is if you've heard of OXO, the company that makes all the kitchen utensils and stuff like that, they actually started as a company that made utensils specifically for people who had like arthritis and older people that had trouble gripping things. Mm. And they made these like ergonomic handles and stuff so they could grip them easier. And it turns out everybody likes that. Mm. <laughs> you know so it's you you have this idea of this age group that's like oh they need all these specific things and it's like well it turns out everybody likes stuff being easier you know There's, right. it's not specific to one age group and i think it'll be interesting to see i know the government struggles with what to do with social security you know the fact that social security retirement age is still you know 65 66 67 it's kind of crazy given the fact that when they first started social you know, life expectancy might have been 68, where now we're talking, you know, 78, 88, whatever it might be. So obviously the government's going to have to do something there. When we typically run the financial plans, we try to think about maybe the client might be able to afford to wait until 70 to collect social because they do get that bump up in the social. And the longer they live, the more that bump up is going to help them to make ends meet as inflation kicks in over the years. Right. And the, the other point that I wanted to jump in here too is about the idea of portfolio design and sort of how that's going to change over time. You know, traditionally younger generations have a much more aggressive portfolio, whether it be 90% equity and 10% fixed income or, or something similar to that. But as you get closer to retirement, you start to shift a lot more of that equity towards fixed income. So you, you get closer to like 50, 50 or something along those lines. And if, if this huge generation that's about to retire all sort of starts to do that at the same time, how is that going to affect the stock market? This is all obviously projecting into the future, but if you just look at it on the surface, it, it's probably going to adversely affect it, right? Because you're having all of these older generations start to pull equity off the table. And when that happens, you know, there's less demand for equity and prices go down, et cetera. But if people start to sort of lean into this idea of they're going to be living longer, they may have some, you know, supplemental income by working a part-time job through retirement. Maybe they don't have to pull as much equity off the table and that'll 
kind of help smooth out the potential bump in the road. I think one of the problems, and and I'm not faulting anyone that says this, I would probably think the same thing, but a lot of times we end up talking to clients and they, it's, it's weird, they don't catch it, but they'll literally say in the same sentence, I've been saving for 30 years, which is a really long time. I only need this money to last me 30 years in the same sentence, meaning the whole idea was I save as long as I have a certain amount for retirement, let's get super conservative because I only need it to last another 30 years. But you just said you saved for a really long time, which is 30 years. So the point is, if you can say, I'm going to live for another 30 years, I'm going to be active for another 15 or 20, there's a bunch of things I want to go out and do in my life, then one of the things that we do with our clients is, depending on their risk tolerance and all that, is we actually have them be a little bit more aggressive than maybe the 50-50 or whatever, depending on their personal situation, because it actually is a long time that they could potentially be living. And a lot of that could could still be in an active state where they can go out and do a lot of things. Yeah. And, and Matt, to your point, I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think part of it is, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on the market. And of course, all this, I could be totally wrong, but it's just my opinion, because it, it's not a shift that you make all at once, right? I mean, in theory, as you age, you get slowly, you get more conservative over time. It's not like when you're working, you're, you know, 80% equity and the day you retire, you got to flip it and now you're only 20% equity or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a slow and steady progression. I think the, the bigger thing is what Eric, well, two bigger things. One of them was what Eric just said, right? Is that if people are living longer, if your retirement time horizon is, is 30 years, well, you, you, you can't get too conservative too early, right? Because you won't get the growth that you need to grow that portfolio to sustain it for 30 years. But I think the even bigger one is a lot of these kind of conventional wisdom ideas, right? Like the old one used to be, you subtract your age from a hundred and that's how much you should have in stocks, right? So like a 60 year old should only have 40% in stocks. They were all kind of coined at times when bonds paid you 10 or 15%, right? In the eighties and, and even in the early nineties bonds, you could buy bonds that paid you six, 7%. It's a lot different when bonds pay you less than one, hmm. you know, that's a whole yeah. different animal. You don't get any yield essentially. So it used to be, okay, well, th this'll work, right? You put a, a huge chunk of your portfolio in bonds, you get 7% a year income. That's pretty good. The stock kind of stocks over time will give you a little bit more than that, but not tremendously more. Now you're talking about bonds paying you 1% and stocks, you know, potentially might, and again, stocks might pay less than they have over historically, but it's still probably going to be more than one. So you almost need the stock piece to give you the growth because the bonds just aren't going to give you anything. You know, they're, they're kind of there now as the ballast so that if the stock market goes down, you don't lose as much money. It's kind of, you know, dry powder to give you the, the opportunity to rebalance, you know, the things that we kind of look at for our clients. Um, but they're not going to give you the yield that they used to give you. So the idea that portfolios are going to get dramatically more conservative as people get older, I think that's going to not ha not be the case necessarily in the, in the near future, and unless rates go up. I hope not. Another point I'll add, you know, we, we kind of live in a world where our clients are invested in equities regardless of their age. There's a whole population of non-clients out there that leave all their money in the bank. And to Mike's point, right now they're getting less than 1%. And one of the big issues in the banking field going forward is what's going to happen to the money that all the older people have in the bank when they eventually move on and leave the money to their younger children who don't grow up in a, an environment of leaving all the money in the bank. So it could be very well be that as the older generation passes on and passes all this wealth down, 
that's going to be extra money that's going to be available potentially to go into the market and maybe kind of kind of counter off a, offset some of what you're talking about. That's, a, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. I didn't thought of that. That's good. Is that, yeah, as, as some of that money gets inherited, it's going to, the asset allocation is going to change because it's going to shift to the younger people. That's a, that's a very good point. Right. So just to, just to kind of tie things up, I think, you know, obviously the most important things going forward are just going to be from a, from a, a social perspective, how the idea of retirement changes over time. And, you know, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the past is the MIT Age Lab has kind of talked about the idea of being very specific about what retirement looks like. So instead of just talking about the idea of retirement, think about things like who's going to change your light bulbs if you're not able to, who are you going to get an ice cream with when you get older, if, if nobody's around that day or something. So kind of just these specific images of retirement to kind of get a better feel for what retirement might look like. And I think more of that going forward is going to be important so that people kind of get a much clearer idea of what it means so that you don't have people retiring one day and then six months later realizing they made a mistake. And, you know, more broadly, I think it's going to be what Matt said, right, is how do these things impact investments, the stock market, the bond market? I mean, all these different markets are so tied to the, the older generation because they represent so much wealth. It's going to be really interesting over the next 10 years to see how that plays out and how these, you know, different pieces all come together and how things change. So could be interesting to see. I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you again for, for joining us. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next one. Take care. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash financers. S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.